Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is November 2nd, 2018, four days until the midterm elections. So we have a lot to talk about uh, and, and whether or not we ever this ever comes to an end. The spoiler alert, the answer is no. We're joined by uh, Jonathan Last of the Weekly Standard. And because it's Friday, we do our cross-platform uh, cross conversations with Politico. And Rachel Bade uh, joins us. Uh, thanks for Thanks for coming on the Daily Standard podcast today. Yeah, happy to be here. Okay, so first of all, Rachel, um, I noticed that you got an honorable mention in the Dirksen Awards for your piece with Tim Alberta, which you called the shot on Paul Ryan uh, <laughs> planning to step down. How do you think Paul Ryan is feeling today about that decision not to run for re-election? Oh, I'm sure he is sighing relief right now. I mean, it's sort of interesting to see... When Ryan's team announced their retirement and they said they're going to, quote, run through the tape, try to keep the House, uh, help Republicans keep the House, their main message that they told the conference to run on was the economy, which is doing really well right now. Um, you know, the tax bill that they successfully passed, talking about how that affects people's pocketbook uh, and is like a boon to people around the country. Nobody is talking about that right now. We are talking about immigration. And Paul Ryan uh, is not like the president on this issue. He is actually pro-immigration. He wants to do immigration reform, uh, but he also wants a solution for DACA, which is nothing. That's not something Republicans are talking about at all. They're talking about fear. They're talking about scaring people at the border, getting rid of birthright citizenship. Um and Ryan earlier this week obviously commented on the birthright citizenship and said, listen, the president can't just do an executive action or an executive order and get rid of this. This is a constitutional amendment, and I am a constitutionalist. And the president went after him and was like, what does Paul Ryan know? Well, actually, Paul Ryan knows a lot, <laughs> um, and he's right. Um, so I think Ryan right now is really probably sick of this. <laughs> and he's campaigning this week in the next couple days um, in Wisconsin. So he's back home doing stuff with Scott Walker and sort of, you know, helping some Republicans in his state. But I am sure he is uh, ready to go home at it, this it, point. It, 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 it was interesting. They they had an event the other day, and um, at least one of the reports I saw uh, said that uh, neither Ryan nor Walker mentioned Trump once. They didn't talk about immigration at all. Everything is is, is taxes, is the economy, is is jobs. Well, since your sources are so good and you called this shot, what do you think Paul Ryan's going to be doing? You know, I think he disappears for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if he does something sort of wonky, like teaches somewhere um, or joins a think tank of some mm -hmm. sort. But I think he's going to be back in Wisconsin for a while. I don't know how long he sets this out. I think that, you know, when he when everybody thought Clinton was going to win, I think in his mind, he had sort of made a plan for himself that Clinton would take the White House and he would be the one to run against her in 2020. And so he had that moment of thinking of, okay, maybe I could run for president kind of thing. And I think once you have that, it doesn't just go away. Um, so I don't know mm. if he tries to make a comeback. Politics is a pendulum, right? So right now, the party is 100% behind the president. It's a totally different party. It's not Paul Ryan's party at all. Um, but at some point, you know, the Republican Party might do a swing back to its more traditional views, uh, more traditional values. And when that happens, 
whether it's 10, 20 years from now, it will be interesting to see if he, you know, tries to step back into the limelight. The issue there is that folks will say, you know, Ryan, when Trump was around, you didn't do anything to stand up to him. Um, And that is a criticism we hear over and over again. He made a pact with the devil, um, decided he would rather get his tax cuts passed than, you know, actually push back against the president, even though he didn't like a lot of things that were coming out of the White House. Um, So we'll just have to see. I do think he's going to spend some time with his family. Yeah, except of course, uh, what 2024 is, as we all know, is going to be, is going to be what uh, Charlie, Charlie Kirk versus Oprah Winfrey, right? (laughs) <laughs> uh, the, we're, we're in the age of like, wh- why the hell not? Uh, you have a piece up today, uh, Rachel, um, a challenge in the conventional wisdom about Nancy Pelosi, who's uh, um, y- your your headline is uh, Pelosi works to outwit outwit her critics once again. Now, maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here because we don't know how many seats the uh, Democrats are going to pick up on Tuesday. But there are sure a lot of Democrats around the country who have been running saying they will not vote for Nancy Pelosi to be speaker, which is where the conventional wisdom comes from, that even if Democrats get the majority, you know, she's going to be heading off into the sunset with Paul Ryan you're not so sure. <laughs> yeah, joining Ryan in yeah. his retirement. Um, no, listen, so it's really fascinating. Everybody has – oh, everybody has – written about Pelosi and this incoming freshman class or these Democratic candidates, of which I think there's at least 50 who have said they won't vote for her in some capacity. But the battlefield is very expansive right now. Um, And if you actually look at the Democratic candidates who are going to potentially win, I'm talking about the candidates who are in lean Democrat, likely Democrat, or toss-up districts. There's probably about 40 of them. Only 11 of them have said that they will not vote for Mm -hmm. Pelosi. And of those 11, only four would confirm to us on record that that means a vote no on the floor against her. There's a big difference. This is what we're hearing from leadership in, in Washington. There's a big difference between calling for new leadership to try to get your Republican opponent off your back and trying to tie you to Pelosi and actually saying point blank, I will not vote for her on hmm. the floor. And if you think back to early 2017, there were 60 Democrats that voted against her privately in caucus, uh, which is a secret vote. And she only needed a majority of Democrats to get the nomination. And all four of them chickened out and voted for her on the floor. Only four people voted against her on the floor. And so Democrats... You know, a lot of them will talk a big game uh, about wanting to push Pelosi out privately. But until they actually go on record and say, I'm going to vote no on the floor, you know, you got to be cautious in how you see this. And I think the Democratic candidates who are most likely to win, they have clearly left the door open to the possibility of backing her. And she right now is trying to make friends with them privately without getting public attention, whether it's sending donors their way, giving them lots of money, sending little private notes, encouragement, praising them. I mean, she's laying the groundwork right now. So I, I'm actually in a, a I wouldn't say a, a, a swing congressional district because it's not, um, but I'm getting lots and lots of political mail and it is exp- from Republicans and it's extraordinary the percentage of them that have Nancy Pelosi's picture on them. I mean, Republicans are not running against um, are not running against the Democratic candidates that are running for Congress or Senate here. They're running against Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I mean, she has been the punching bag. By the way, so Rachel, I noticed that you were retweeting uh, Dave Wasserman um, earlier today. They they have moved their House outlook uh, from to a, a Democratic gain of 30 to 40 seats. It was 25, 35 last month, mm-hmm. uh, Cook political uh, report. Um, 
what what is your gut sense? We're we're four days out, so we're yeah. we're, we're we're putting our you know pundit credentials on the line here, and you watch this stuff really really closely. Right. So Wasserman and I were talking is about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, when it was after the Brett Kavanaugh bump. Uh, Republicans were seeing some um, some signs of life in a lot of districts that they thought, you know, the, the incumbent was, you know, politically dead. Um, and that was because there was this new enthusiasm from Brett Kavanaugh. The president talking about immigration had seemed to help him uh, at the time. And, you know, Republicans were actually saying, okay, there's maybe a 30% chance we could keep the House. And, and Wasserman and I were talking about this. He agreed. Um, um, however, since then, the president seems to have gone overboard with the immigration rhetoric. And I think a lot of people, including Republicans, are worried that there's going to be this backlash in the suburbs across the country, whether it's in Texas, or, uh, California, Pennsylvania, and that people who may have been open to like the president talking about immigration now are turned potentially turned off by it. The whole thing with the birthright citizenship, um, also these controversial ads that he's been running that very much uh, seem racist and seem, uh, you know, him trying to blame Democrats for bringing illegal immigrants to this country that kill cops. I mean, that's absurd. And I think that I think that people see that and it's turned off some voters. At the same time. Democrats are having a lot of success running on health care right now. This whole notion of um, Republicans tried to get rid of pre-existing conditions. Um, Republicans have tried to hit back and say, actually, no, we voted to protect pre-existing conditions. But I covered that health care bill. I covered mm -hmm. the Obamacare bill repeal effort here on the Hill. And I know for a fact that that's not true. Like, I remember when they put in those specific provisions allowing states to give insurance companies more leeway to charge sick people more. Um, and that's just that's just a fact. Um, so I think that between health care and the president going a little too far on immigration, the thinking right now is that Democrats have the momentum once again. And so their lead is potentially growing. I think it's okay. probably going to be closer to 30 seats. Okay. So, so Jonathan last from your perspective, um, how, how does the, the Republican Trump closing message on immigration, how will that play out on Tuesday? Well, I mean, I, I think we know just the fact of this being the closing message tells us that they think they're in trouble. Right. I mean, this is this is what you do to try to motivate base voters to save marginal districts. Uh, it's the type of thing you do. This is the in case of emergency break glass option. And I <laughs> I got to say, I mean, when you when you just look at the numbers and you, know, you look at the the generic ballot is now as big as it's been. Uh, I, I got to say, and traditionally we understate waves, you know, like we, we never, you never really see the wave coming at the magnitude it, it appears as, uh, I actually think the, the number's closer to 40. Mm. Um, we'll see when you look at the modeling that's being done on this, uh, if the turnout is high, Democrats are going to do really well. If the turnout is low, Democrats are going to do really well. Uh, the only thing that where Republicans can try to keep their losses within hand, like to 25 seats or so, is if you get average median turnout. And I, I just have trouble looking at the world we live in and thinking that we're going to get an average election. <laughs> you know, like every everything seems crazy. So I suspect that we'll get an extreme one way or another. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I really do think that there's a, a chance that we wake up on, on Wednesday morning mm -hmm. and see Democrats having done very, very well. 
I just I'm I'm really struck by how dark and ugly the the the, the final message is. And in an alternative universe, how, how, you know, we, the Republicans could be running on, you know, happy days are here again. You know, Rachel, you mentioned, you know, Ryan wanting to run on the economy and taxes. I get emails from, you know, Team Ryan, you know, like 10 times a day. And they're always on message. They're always upbeat. They're always talking about jobs and economic growth and consumer confidence. And then you look at the president of the United States who is rolling out this, this ad that frankly makes Willie Horton look, I think, tame by comparison or giving that rambling bizarre uh, press conference yesterday where he talks about uh, uh, you know having members of the military perhaps uh, shooting uh, uh, members of the caravan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I cannot imagine that that is going to play well in these swing districts. But also, Rachel, I had to mention this. You had a piece about uh, the, the role of health care in this election. And, you know, here in Wisconsin, every time I turn on television, I mean, that is all you see on television. And your piece, at least online, had a picture of, uh, of my local congressman, Glenn Grothman, yes. here in Wisconsin. And Glenn Grothman's seat should not be in play at all. And I, you know, I assume he's going to win, uh, but it's not a swing district. And yet, he is one of those it is one of those districts where the health care issue, you know, is making it tighter. And you are seeing some last minute Republican money coming into this district, which really has raised eyebrows, because if Glenn Grothman is, you know, is feeling the, the wind at his back, then that shows you how how wide this field has become. Right. I think that so he brought up on a conference call with Republicans two weeks ago um, that he was getting totally pummeled by healthcare ads, um, saying he voted to get rid of protections for pre-existing conditions. And what he said to leadership was, we need help. Can the party purchase and create a nationwide ad for Republicans in districts like mine um, that basically pushes back on this notion that we want to get rid of pre-existing conditions. And the answer from Kevin McCarthy, uh, from people who were on the call, told me uh, was that, no, we can't do that. That's too expensive. You are on your own to sort of combat these. And you're right. So Grothman's district was apparently he was ahead by double digits, never mm -hmm. really seen as in trouble, although he did have fundraising issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and and Ryan tried to personally tried to help him with that. Uh, but recently, because of these healthcare ads that his opponent, Dan Cole, keeps running, um, his lead has shrunk to, I believe, the mid uh, single digits, just around the point where Republicans were getting a little worried and felt they needed to give him some backup. Yeah, and um, I, you you mentioned in the piece that he has an ad. See, I've known Glenn for many many years. Um, you know, from when he was in the state assembly, he's actually a a, a pretty good friend. And when I say this, uh, I'm not saying anything that I don't say to his face. But but Glenn really doesn't have a life. Glenn Glenn is he's he's a political freak. He's probably one of the best retail politicians in the state. But he also knows how to listen. And so when he says, "Hey, we have a real problem on health care." You know, I, I pay attention to that because he sees these things coming and the ad that he's running now. Um, and he's a very, very, very conservative uh, Republican. The ad that he's running now is indistinguishable from a liberal Democrat. Why? I will not take any money from the pharmaceutical companies. It is really interesting that he is not running as a Trumpian Republican whatsoever in the television ads. He's running as, you know, this kinder and gentler uh, uh, candidate. OK, so I, I want to switch gears to uh, my what continues to be my favorite story. Actually, I have a hard time figuring out what is my favorite story. Is it the 
Candace Owen, Tommy Lahren, um, Kanye West breakup over Blexit. I mean, that's that one I can't get enough of. But the other one, and we have a piece up, uh, Jonathan, I want to ask you about from uh, our own uh, John McCormick at the Weekly Standard, a conspiracy so vastly inept. It, 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 and it is about what happened yesterday at a Holiday Inn in Roslyn, Virginia, where you had two of the most bizarre grifters in conservative politics trying to roll out this conspiracy theory uh, to smear special prosecutor Robert Mueller, despite the fact that their conspiracy had completely been exploded and and exposed the day before. So what the hell? It's... This is the world we live in. My God, this is so. So this guy Jack Berkman has been a grifter or lobbyist type around Republican circles for you know ten or twenty years at this point, and uh, and he has with him Jacob Wohl, who is a twenty-year-old blogger and hedge fund manager. I guess I'm Ron Burgundy from Gateway Pundit, who's who is who's, now who's already been banned Pundit, by the way, right? Who's, who's He's already. <laughs> So he is too irresponsible for Gateway Pundit. Just sit with that for a minute. And uh, they are rolling out the alleged sexual assault by Robert Mueller back in 2010 when he, in a, the hotel bar at the St. Regis in New York City, grabbed this 34-year-old woman and just hauled her bodily up to his room. Now, I guess his uh, protective service, because when you are the FBI director, you have protection. We're just cool with this. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, and he sexually assaulted her and they flew, supposedly, the woman who was the uh, had the allegations with them to Washington for this press conference yesterday. But as soon as she landed, she got cold feet and she just hopped on another plane and flew away to an undisclosed location. But they had a picture of her. And the picture was of she and Jacob Wool together, but they blotched her face out of it. But of course now, you know, because they didn't understand how Google image searches work, it turns out it's just a a picture of Jacob with his girlfriend from like three years ago. No, I mean, it's, it's anyway, they stood up there and, you know, presented this. There is this postmodern aspect to it where they know they're lying. The reporters know they're lying they know that the reporters know that they know they're lying. You know, like it's it's like staring into two mirrors facing one another. It just recedes into infinity, uh, and it's and yet this, they do it. And yet they do it. And I. So this is the real question. Then uh, are are these people sort of doing themselves a disservice? Are they sick or? You know, are they really hurting themselves or is it turned out that this is just a perfectly reasonable career move in the world, in the world of Candace and Charlie Kirk and Tommy? Is all of this just another way of getting, you know, fame has an absolute value sign around it. People now know Jacob Wool's name in a way they didn't. He can hang out his shingle as being a good Trump defender that the fake news media is going after. Uh, and will he be any worse off than he would be if he went to some seventh tier college and graduated and then got some, you know, job at a widget factory? Probably not. I don't know. I I mean, maybe this is now a perfectly acceptable career path in 2018 America. At least it's there. Oh, yeah. You sit with that, Charlie. <laughs> I think I'm dark. And then I talk with you, Jonathan, about what's going on here. That's my but, move. Yeah, I'm, I'm still stuck on, you know, too, too irresponsible for gateway pundit. 
One of my favorite parts of this story, though, was the fact that he, he you know, created this firm calling itself Surefire Intelligence, you know, and it created this <laughs> website with pictures of supermodels and various people as their as as their operatives. And and when NBC calls, you know, he, you know, he he lies to them about it until they say, well, by the way, we've called the phone number and we get the voicemail of your mom. Yeah, it seems like his parents are complicit. Uh, it, it does seem like his parents are, you know, like good snowflake parents. Uh, you know, as you know, you just keep pursuing your passion, Jacob. Uh, the whole thing is amazing. Yeah, I, and there's, it, I think there's, there's other. I, I honestly believe we haven't even gotten to the very bottom of this. I think if you go one layer down, there's going to be some more, and I expect there to be more coming out over the next forty-eight hours or so. So yeah. Well, also, won't Mueller's team probe whether or not oh, yeah. people, you know, Republicans in the White House in any way were connected to this? I mean, this seems like something that the Democrats, if they take the House, at the very least, are going to try to figure out where the heck this is coming from. Yeah, somebody, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if there are people from other media outlets, and I will say that delicately, who are somewhat involved in this. Not necessarily the White House, but I mean, you know, this is <laughs> the last line of John's piece. Uh, oh, really, people should should run, not walk to weeklystandard.com to read John's excellent pieces. Somebody says to Berkman and Wool, are you guys both prepared for federal prison? And Berkman goes, uh, no, no, or not. Oh I was like, yes. are we talking about white collar prison or federal pound me in the ass prison? <laughs> You know, I, I need to go back uh, to uh, to to the tape where you described the the, the postmodern mirrors because that 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 may be the explanation for it. Because you know there are so many extraordinary elements to this, but also once the entire world knows that you are a grifter and a liar and you've been caught in this, to show up at the press conference anyway, you know, and I, we we've talked about this before that in the Trump era. Uh, a lack of shame is the superpower. Just be absolutely shameless. Just keep going ahead, no matter how bad it is. You know, if, if you've been caught in a lie, you just double down on the lie. Uh, shamelessness is is really the coin of the realm, and 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 maybe and maybe it does work for them. Who knows? You know, I was waiting for this thing is uh, imploded so spectacularly. I was waiting for the hot takes from the usual suspects, basically saying, you know, to the Democrats or to, to the left or to the media, well, now you know how it feels uh, after Kavanaugh, somehow mm. relating this. But this whole projection, the belief that there was this conspiracy to defame Kavanaugh, and we'll leave that aside for the, for the moment. So therefore, um, you create the whataboutism when you have these two complete fraud artists who have, you know, tried to go after Robert Mueller. And of course, this has been referred to the special prosecutor. Okay, so speaking about the era that we're in, there's a fascinating piece in Vanity Fair um, about CNN and the success of CNN, which is interesting because they don't do well ratings wise compared to Fox News and MSNBC, but apparently they are just making money hand over fist uh, because they have the highest ratings ever. And there's an interesting quote, uh, Jonathan, that you highlighted. I saw it a little bit earlier today from Jake Tapper, who was asked, uh, well, what happens when Trump leaves and everything goes back to normal? And if I'm paraphrasing, Tapper says, it's never going back to normal. This is it. We are never we're never recovering from this. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the central question of this of this moment, actually. Is this is this really the new normal going forward or not? And I can see this both ways. You know, on the one hand, you think, well, American history has had all sorts of periods when things have been insanely crazy. You know, during the 1970s, there were, you know, the SDS was literally going around bombing places and we have went and became more normal than that. Uh, things were crazy during William Jennings Bryan's time. Things then got more normal. Uh on the other hand, there are a bunch of structural factors here, like the advent of the Internet and social media, uh, that lead me to believe that once you just destroy a bunch of norms, you can't actually rebuild them in any meaningful way. And uh, so I don't know. I This is the type of thing I actually tweeted at Jake, and I said, I'd like you to write 5,000 words on this, because this is, you know, as I said, the central question of our moment. I, so, I mean, what do you guys think? Rachel, so yeah, Rachel Charlie, where do you come down on this? I, 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 you know, I, I've talked about this, the, the two different theories of history, the, the, the pendulum theory, which is that you have, you know, Nixon, but you recover from this versus the ratchet theory, which is that every time you violate a norm, you break a norm. Um, it becomes harder and harder to come back. And I, I tend, I, I want to believe in the pendulum theory, but I'm afraid I agree with you, Jonathan, that you shatter all of these norms, which are pretty fragile to begin with. It is hard to, pick it back up. So Rachel, where do you come down on the, you know, bright, dark end of the spectrum? <laughs> I think that when we talk about like policy wise, and when we talk about Trump's Republican party versus say Ryan's Republican party, we could very well see a pendulum, but cause at some point, you know, people are going to start to question the direction perhaps that he's taken the country. Um, but I think that when it comes to the dark versus light, the, um, listening to our better angels in politics versus, um, you know, the little devil on your shoulder that wants you to, to smack your opponent in the face or punch him in the nose. Um, I think that you're right. The internet and Twitter, I mean, just like it, it changes things. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it seems like in Washington, we always are saying, Oh, it's more partisan now than it's ever been. And it, it seems to me that I've been covering the Hill now for maybe maybe six to eight years or so. And it just seems like every year it gets a little worse. So I don't know. It doesn't look like we're, we're yeah. on a path toward something and, good and, and bipartisan and civil um, at this point in time. And, and also it's, it's, it's moving so fast that it's almost not that it's partisan. It's gone from partisan to tribal to, right. I'm not sure what the next step is, but I almost feel like we've, we've blown past tribal to an era where certain behaviors are so normal. I, you know, for, for example, you know, the president had his press conference yesterday where he's, you know, talking about how violent the caravan is and he's playing this and he unveils that, uh, that really vile, uh, ad. And this was what, two, three days after the massacre in Pittsburgh, as if it didn't even happen. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and yet the pace moves so quickly that it's, you know, that you, you can't even catch up with it. I, I mean, I, I know that people in the media have just almost, you know, thrown up their hands about the how difficult it is to fact check this president. And because, and again, part of the superpower being shamelessness, if you just throw it out and at, at the point where basically people have normalized the fact that uh, we don't care about whether or not somebody said something that's true or not true or you can't tell. I mean, I, even I find myself going, I have no idea what the truth is about this or that. So let me ask, I mean, so you are, 
you know, these, uh, you know, the, the, the caravan, you know, are, are they really, you know, rock throwing people who have overwhelmed the Mexican army? What What is the story there? The president of the United States standing in the White House is describing them. I'm looking at pictures. Looks like a bunch of women and children who are, you know, you know, kind of staggering n- north. And, you know, what what is the truth? Who to believe? Let me. Let me try to be the glasses half full guy, Please. which is weird and it won't be convincing because this is not this is off brand for me. Uh, if you talk to political scientists, the nice guys who do this for a living on college campuses who never like look out into the realm of actual daily politics, what they will tell you is that things aren't nearly so bad as we think that when you go issue by issue, we are actually less polarized than Mm -hmm. we were 40 years ago. When you look at what we think about immigration, when you look at what we think about the death penalty or abortion, Americans are actually closer together than they were back in 1970. Uh, The difference is that the parties themselves have become more polarized as they have sorted themselves out. And that the, the problems then are all sort of in the superstructure of how we organize our political parties and that then you know, plays itself out in the actual day-to-day practice of our politics. But on what we believe, we actually aren't further apart than we've ever been. We're actually reasonably close. And so the, the glass is half full vision of this, I think, suggests that we get to some way where we figure out how to reform political parties or reform candidate choices so that the parties better represent what actual people and rank and file members of them believe. Uh, which is you know, right now the process we have to, you know, where the, the parties elevate their champions to, to run in general elections is designed to come up with the most, uh, the most extreme people possible. Mm, and right. that part of this has to do just with simple, like literally things as simple as the way we gerrymander districts. Yeah. But you know, you know there, so there's also, I, I, look, yeah. I'm not saying I'm trying to be convinced. No, no, I want to believe you, but, but I'm also watching the, the, the half the optimistic case for all this. But, but also but, but, to just watching these ideas that used to be just out on the very fringes now being you know normalized mainstream. Rachel, what do you think about this? Exactly. Exactly. I was just going to sort of talk about um, how race has been used in this election to sort yeah. of illustrate where we have come, yeah. how far down we have gone and fallen. Um, you know, there was a tweet, um, well, Steve King, uh, a sort of oh, fringe yeah. Republican <laughs> from Iowa who has been backing um, European leaders who are very openly white supremacists, um, has been saying some sort of blatantly racist things on Twitter. Um, the National Republican Congressional Committee leader, Steve Stivers, who's basically running the House Republican campaign arm, he came out a couple of days ago and tweeted at Steve King and said that this sort of rhetoric and this sort of um, take has no place in society and that, you know, he needs to stop. And it was just a fascinating moment to see a senior Republican on the Hill chastising another Republican uh, about racist comments. But the the most striking thing about this is that other Republican leaders did not echo Steve Stivers. And in fact, I was mm-hmm. hearing that they were upset with Stivers for, really? for yes. Um, and there's a reason they didn't want to talk about this. Um, and they don't, and they're trying to avoid the subject because they think, you know, this is a midterm election. We're going to, we need every seat we can. Now's not the time to do this, that it draws more attention to the controversy than they want, than they want. So, but the fact that Republican leaders and nobody else 
blasted him for things he's been saying recently is very telling, I think. And another thing, we've also seen Republican ads um, sort of... I don't want I don't want to call them racist ads, but I want to say that there have been ads that seem to sort of hint um, at somebody not being like us. Uh, there's a there's oh, a yeah. Republican um, in New York running. He's a former rapper way back years ago. He went to Harvard Law School. He's a Rhodes Scholar. Um, Anti- uh, Antonio Delgado. He's running against John Faso in New York. And Republicans have been running all these ads against him, uh, calling him big city rapper, playing his rap music, and showing him leering into the camera wearing this dark hoodie as if he is some dangerous person, saying he's not like us. These are the types of things that, you know, I have never seen Republican ads like this, but it seems like we're in a different time and this is now acceptable, uh, you know, uh, even though some people are clearly uncomfortable with it. I just think this shows, you know, how much, how far things have unraveled right now. So I want to go back to your point, which is really extraordinary. We did talk about this, I think, on the podcast yesterday, the fact that uh, Stivers issued the statement about King, but that, and that no other leader did. But what you are reporting is that he pretty much was a lone wolf on this. And you write, uh, Stiver's comment shook party leaders in the final stretch of the campaign. So this was not coordinated or planned, that he is an outlier (laughs) in the Republican leadership, which is really an extraordinarily telling um, little tidbit there. Yeah, it sounds like he got some sort of briefing on recent remarks King had made. um, And he was getting some pressure you know, from some of his own supporters, like you got to stand up and he made a decision on his own. He didn't tell anybody. Um, people were, leadership was surprised by this. They didn't see it coming. Um, and just tweeted something, followed his gut. And, you know, again, some people in leadership did not, were not happy with this and said, this is not the time to do it. I'm not saying that Republican leadership in the house in any way condones, you know, comments Steve King has made, but the fact that they won't stand up with their, you know, top campaign chairman to push back on him and say that is out of line is just surprising. I mean, you know, Ryan in particular has made himself, yes, has made himself to be the moral compass of the Republican Party. That was always the brand he was trying to create. Um, And so the fact that he also didn't come out and support Stivers and pushing back on Steve King's comments (laughs) is very telling. I love that these guys will cover for any stupid thing Trump tweets. Uh, but who whose Twitter feed do they get pissed off about? Stivers. <laughs> you know, it's so perfect. Going back to this, where we are as a country thing. I this is this is of course anecdotal, but most of the people that I know and interact with are are you know probably on the you know political geek side, political involvement side, and the thing that I've been hearing over and over and over again from people is the number of them who are trying to sort of you know turn it off, you know n- not not pay attention anymore, not watch the news, not engage with this because it's just too horrific for them, and I just wonder about the. The uh, the underreported factor of just the dropout factor that I can't take it anymore, um, as opposed to becoming more engaged. By the way, so how how do uh, Rachel, since you're at the at the far end here of you know political um, wonk wonkiness, how do you spend the last weekend before a midterm election? Because I'll tell you how I'm going to spend it. You know, right now uh, I am basically getting ready for the lame deck. I think that you know a lot of people think that. 
on election day, like once the House and Senate majorities are determined, like that's it. But for me, (laughs) that's when my job gets crazy because the leadership jockeying in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, whether it's Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy versus Jim Jordan, it's going to be really nasty. Uh, And there's potentially going to be a shutdown. So I am preparing by sort of laying the groundwork on that. Um, Wow. So, uh, Jonathan, you got anything interesting? Because I do. No, I just chased okay. my four annoying children around the yard all week. I mean, <laughs> how is this weekend going to be any different from any other weekend? The answer is it won't. This okay. is <laughs> this is the life I lead. I, I, I have a gift to two to the two of you. Give it. Okay. Give it to me. Randy Rainbow. What? Do you know Randy Rainbow? No, uh, it is Play with Randy Rainbow. Okay, so this is my gift to you for this weekend. He's actually in Milwaukee tonight. He's uh, on 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 tour. He's a, um, shall we say, a political satirist. I don't want to give, you know, to, he's an incredibly talented guy. Um, let's say not a, not a Trump fan. Um, but he's uh, doing the Midwest, and he's in, I think he was in Madison last night, and uh, he's in uh, Minneapolis uh, over the weekend. But he's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin tonight, and I have tickets to the Randy Rainbow concert. Oh. Now, if you go on YouTube and you look up Randy Rainbow, just you'll, you'll just go, I, how do I not know this guy? You know, are you Gilbert and Sullivan fans at all? I mean, you know, musical the, musical theater. Okay, you, you know Oklahoma? Oh, Exactly. When you see his Amorosa video, or I am a very stable genius. I'm just I'm just saying that this is something to get you from here to the end of the midterms. Of course, nothing ever ends. Is he like that, the new Jack Mark Russell? Yeah, but way wickeder. Oh, so funnier than Mark Russell. Good, because Mark oh, Russell. Oh, no, 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 no. And um, it's um, it's he's he's it's it's going to be an interesting crowd. See, I'm trying to figure out whether I should. This would be the kind of thing where I would need sunglasses and maybe a hat. These are your people, <laughs> These are your people man. No, well, I don't know. See, I don't have any people anymore. You um, need an FBI ball cap. Well, here's my problem. Um, MSNBC wants me to go to the Walker party on Tuesday night. Okay, so which (laughs) so so here's my question, which will be more awkward showing up at the Randy Rainbow concert tonight or showing up, you know, at the uh, Ingleside Hotel um, for the Republican election night um, here in Wisconsin on Tuesday night? I don't know. Going to lose. Go for Randy Rainbow. Go for Randy Rainbow. (laughs) I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've been tweeting out things about Randy Rainbow. I just, I just don't know why he's not a bigger star than he is right now. Um, I've but, Googled him and I will watch these as soon as we're done with the podcast and yes, see and, what I think here. And, and at some point over the weekend, Rachel, you will, you will say, you will look up and say, thank you. Thank you <laughs> for, for this because you don't get paid for doing the podcast, but you get this. So enjoy your weekend. Um, and enjoy the, well, it, it, I, I agree with you, Jonathan. It never comes to an end. This is the new normal, but we do have four days until the midterm elections. Thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday. We'll do this all over.